<laughs> I totally forgot. Thanks, Kathy. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of people that maybe don't believe and kind of ask, but if you don't believe, are you going to get an answer? Mm -hmm. Will you hear an answer? I, you know, you have to believe there's, there's faith that comes to work mm -hmm. in there. So I guess that's, you could have works without faith, which faith without works is dead, but works without faith is dead too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of goes both ways. It's very impactful here in developing that out through the, the third lecture on these, these next three things, right? Verses three through five, that we need to hear observe that three things are necessary in order for any rational intelligent being may exercise faith in God unto life and salvation. First, the idea that he actually exists, you know, and, and that's something that, that largely comes from, from human testimony, uh, whether it be um, scriptures, prophets of the past, uh, parents, friends, family, but an, an idea that he actually exists. And then secondly, a correct idea of his character, perfections, and attributes. And then thirdly, which is like the huge one, I think, for me at least, an actual knowledge that the course of life which he is pursuing is according to his will. Um, that one used to trip me up a lot because I that seems like a fruit of faith, not a prerequisite of faith. But yet, um, throughout the, the rest of the lecture third, it goes on to, to help um, to, to prove that point. Um, but anyway, that these three things are so necessary for us to have faith in a God and uh, have a proper relationship with him. So in that third thing, it says an actual knowledge that the course of life which he is pursuing is according to his will. Mm, he, the first he there, is the person that's praying because up above that he is talking about the savior or heavenly mm -hmm. father yeah that's kind of confusing throughout this lecture it is. and it didn't it, is. <laughs> it didn't capitalize his when it's talking about heavenly father so because i'm i was yeah i'm like are you saying is he saying that heavenly father's pursuing the course of life for us i don't think so i think it's the course of life we're pursuing according to his will, the Lord's will, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It would be awesome to uh, go through and reformat this and, and capitalize all of the he and him and his is mm -hmm. that are a, a deity, right? Right. So hmm, can we just talk about faith then and getting answers and not getting answers? Like if you're not getting answers i mean we're always told at church that if you're not getting answers then i don't know there's things that people say right they kind of you don't have enough faith you the answer's no it's not the lord's timing so but here it's not saying that mm -hmm. yeah it's very interesting that it it boils it down to these three specific points right so 
do you believe that, I mean, not you, but like, right. right? Do you believe that God actually exists? You have to have that idea at first, right? That he's, that you're a rational being that's going to approach in prayer and, and do a petition, right? I mean, <laughs> I quote from Arrival so many times, but like her lecture there at the whiteboard of like how to ask the aliens a question and, and assume that they know the, um, that there is a question and that there's supposed to be a response kind of a thing. So I think that's kind of boiled down into this first one here, an idea that he actually exists and that he can answer prayers, right? And then secondly, a correct idea of his character, perfections, and attributes. As we see throughout the rest of the lecture, um, there's quite a few things that sometimes we we know, but we don't practice, or um, we kind of go through the motions, but we don't actually believe them as, as completely as we need to. And then thirdly, an actual knowledge that the course of life, which he is pursuing is according to his will. So say you're in the, the mode of repentance, for example, and like, okay, so if I've sinned, I obviously can't approach God, right? Because like the course of life that I'm pursuing is not according to his will because I've sinned. So therefore I can't even approach a deity. But I mean, that's how we would sometimes think of it, right? But yet look at lecture second and Adam still approached God after he transgressed. Uh, he had full on conversations with him. And so did Cain. So did many people like sin transgression weakness is not a um prohibiting factor in approaching god because god is going to his characters perfections and attributes it it's his work and his glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of all men and that wouldn't be possible if we could never call on him because that's part of the process right does that also go to him not being a respecter of persons like mm-hmm that's yeah. not what I'm looking for. Okay. Yeah, I don't only speak to the righteous. I I, I speak to everyone. Like I, anyone can approach and uh, receive of God. So then, if you feel like you're not getting answers, then you have to go back and question one of those three things. Uh -huh, I think absolutely. Or is it just not his timing? Is that? I mean, that's what we're always taught at church, but are we taught incorrectly? I guess that's kind of what I'm asking. I think it's kind of like the default answer, right? <laughs> that that's what I'm it, wondering. It's just it they just come up with something. Mm -hmm. I think that I, I think I think you're right, Alethea. Like I, I do think we uh, all, you know, we, we would benefit so greatly if we would spend more time maybe questioning these things, like is my idea of God's character correct? Or, you know, like this has just hit me so strong lately, especially after going through Job. And I don't think that is hit on in the church, you know, in our lessons or whatever. Like, I think we assume or, you know, that, oh yeah, we know, we know how God thinks, we know how he works. But then like going through the Old Testament, it's like this year for me, at least, has been so eye-opening to be like, oh, wow, I, that's something I, 
I either got wrong or I learned or whatever. And I think there's, there's so much opportunity for us to just stop and go, is my, is what I, how I perceive God correct? And to like that, it, it, to me, it's just such an amazing opportunity, like Job to like wrestle with that. Right. And, and take that to God and like, is this right? And you know, yeah, if you're, if I, if I feel like you're not answering my prayers, you know, like, I don't know, teach me God. Right. And instead of just taking these, like these, you know, like you said, the, oh, it's not his timing. Like, I, I think we all need to really wrestle with God. And, and that is how we each individually get to know him on a personal level be, beyond the, you know, what, what we've been taught or fed or whatever. Anyways, it's just, that is like, that just stands out so much to me because it's been, it's just been on my mind so much. And I keep seeing it popping up. Like, yeah, you got to be willing to challenge how you view God. And, and that's not a bad thing, right? It's just a, it's, it's more, you've got to get to know God, you know? And not just what somebody's told you he is or isn't, or, you know. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a false tradition of man that's crept in. Absolutely. That's what all of those talks that Hans Baker talked about. Sorry, you guys, I'm outside watering. I had a long day. Um, If you hear background noise, I'm sorry, but I have to get done. Um, That's what all of Hans Baker's talks are about. Remember, Alethea, they're they're Mm -hmm. all about boxing God in and how we think we should have you know he should be doing this and that and the other and how our prayer should be teach me about you teach me about thee teach me like this principle like exactly what she was just saying and how we have certain ways we think he should be or how we should answer or how how it should work and yet really we should just be learning like this is the way he wants it this is this is the way what he's trying to teach me individually about himself and about every everything every single thing so yeah Hunsaker talks were amazing they were amazing and then the other thing was I don't know if you guys have already talked about this because I got on late um I love how in the book I think it was this chapter I'm not positive but how he talked about how Heavenly Father talked to God I mean sorry to God to Adam before they transgressed and he continued to talk to him right after they transgressed and how even right after they transgressed like he was still available right there I think it said that they didn't see him anymore they just heard him I'm not sure but I think that's what I read is that right uh-huh yeah from lecture second um uh, is that from second it goes with Adam's story and it goes with Cain's story and says that they're still conversing with the Lord. I mean, that's not a prohibiting factor of approaching God. Um, Right. Well, it's not worthiness. It's that he's there if we reach out, right? mm -hmm. Even after, even after Cain had just barely killed his brother, he was right there, you know, talking to him. Mm -hmm. so I love I love that part because I think a lot of people and even us feel like it's a worthiness thing and it's not a worthiness thing it's just the effort and the 
the faith. It's really just faith and the putting forth the effort, right? Yeah. So I thought chapter, I mean, uh, number seven. So up above, we talked about the three things. And number two is really interesting. It says the correct idea is character, perfections, attributes. And when you go to seven, very, very interesting that we are indebted to the revelations which he has given to us. So what is that really talking about? Well, the scriptures, right? Our standard works, the prophets, modern day revelations, you know, of, of et cetera, for a correct understanding of what? Same thing, character, perfections, and attributes. For because without these revelations, no man by searching could find out God. And that's pretty interesting, right? Yeah. I think that's one of the things that really stood out to me from Triumph of Zion and John Pontius is like, once you realize or the, the, uh, you're ready to be taught something, you'll go back to scriptures and realize that everybody's talked about it and it's been there all along, but you just never keyed into it before, right? And how indebted we are to the revelations of all of these prophets and, and people who have heard or seen the pattern in some way and put it to practice and are testifying hey it works i i i like it says i am so indebted to that uh, without those i wouldn't know how to approach god in any way shape or form right so have you had a discussion about the difference between transgression and sin we haven't here in in this group no so the, there is a difference. Mm -hmm. and, and Adam transgressed, he didn't sin. And because transgression was, because that was a part of the plan. And the only way that you could have free agency, or I should say just agency, and being able to choose to set up the plan, because Satan didn't know the plan, as the great price tells us, right? So all along, that was God's plan. I mean, and he just transgressed the law. He didn't sin. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge difference. Yeah. And so that's kind of one of the major points between those two examples, right? Adam's transgression and Cain's sin full on. And then that that God is still speaking uh, in both circumstances. I think that's powerful. So what's the difference in our life? What's the difference between that and my life? Like I was going to ask the same thing. <laughs> Uh, is anybody gonna answer <laughs> well i mean like how i've always understood it or explained to me kind of thing like sins are inherently wrong and they're replete throughout all scripture i mean like they're kind of like the law right versus um transgressions where there's choices to be made you know like it's not a law to eat of fruit of a certain type of tree or anything kind of anyway um where that would be transgression versus sin and how that boils down to our own lives i don't know there's so many different examples we could pull just out just because it's easy um and it's let's just talk about the word of wisdom if we're not i mean we go to church and we all have sweets and all this yucky worldly food 
that's not really obeying the word of wisdom. So is that a transgression as opposed to, right? I mean, doing, doing the things we're not supposed to do will keep you out of the temple, but the other things in the word of wisdom don't. So are those transgressions then? That's a great question. <laughs> I wouldn't know necessarily how to answer that because like there's there's the don'ts, but are those necessarily sins? Well, I'm saying those are sins because they'll keep you out of the temple, the don'ts, but all the other things. But they only they haven't always kept people out of the temple that say, you know, that was a process throughout the, the but restoration. It is now. Mm-hmm. And so are they inherently wrong? Not necessarily, because throughout time, those things have been modified and changed and, and things. I, I wouldn't necessarily lump any of them into the sin category, but I don't know. I That's just, I don't, I don't think what that is the right. word, sorry, Alicia. No, what I just, the word transgress really mean? Like, does it, can anybody look it up? I don't, I'm sorry, I'm still wondering. Can I'll anybody look, look up what it really means to transgress? Like, I just am interested of, if it's almost like, um, like a dissension or like um, sins of omission. It says to pass over or beyond any limit to surpass. In a moral sense, to overpass any rule prescribed is a limit of duty to break or violate a law, civil or moral. To transgress a divine law is sin. Oh. Oh. To offend by violating a law. To sin. Okay, that's the 1828 or whatever dictionary. So let me look up sin now. So just remember the article of faith. We believe that all men would be punished for, well, for our own sins and not for Adam's transgressions. And this is one of the huge differences with the Catholic Church and original sin, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's a good catch. Okay, so sin differs from crime, not in nature, but in application. To depart voluntarily from the path of duty prescribed by God. This is by God, man. I wonder if they missed a word there. To violate the divine law in any particular by actual transgression or by the neglect or non-observance of the its injunctions. So if a sin is to violate divine law, then would a transgression be to violate man's law? However, it sounds those definitions make those words sound interchangeable. Let me give you a definition that might help. Okay. But to okay. sin is to do something contrary to the will of the Lord. It is to be willfully disobedient. Transgression, on the other hand, is a violation of a law, a rule that may not be against the will of the Lord. Thus, all sins are transgressions, but not all transgressions are sins. Okay. Interesting, yeah. And that's why Adam and Eve eating of the fruit wasn't a, a sin, because he did want them to eat the fruit. Maybe he just wasn't ready for them to eat it yet. Well. He hadn't given them permission to eat it yet, right? Well, yeah, but he had to set it up to where they had to have a choice. So he had to tell them that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, 
I have another thought about that a little bit, but because Satan said that he's doing what he saw in other worlds, it makes me wonder if there was going to be a time when Heavenly Father would allow them to eat the fruit. And Satan thought, I'll just step in in Heavenly Father's role and give it to him early. Does that make sense? I've had that same thought, Alethea. Yeah. And so he was, he was trying, I mean, we know he was trying to take Heavenly Father's power. So did he step in at that time, again, trying to usurp Heavenly Father's power, giving them the fruit, thinking that he was going to destroy everything and he'd get that power. But in reality, it just furthered the plan, but maybe not on the timing that Heavenly Father had. Does that does that make sense? Yet, yet Heavenly Father knew exactly what was going to happen and the plan was was there and ready, you know, for right. that. Yeah. So that if Satan did step in and do that, it didn't matter. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just something to think about. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, coming through these, you know, these three uh, bullet points of, of lecture third, and and talking about sin and transgression, and how all of that correlates to correct ideas of his character, perfections, and attributes. You know, because we have lots of different things that we grow up with in in one way or another, and and really taking the time to think through those and. Um, and discover God, right? So here's another thought about that. Sin is breaking a law with the knowledge that the law is being broken. Adam did not have knowledge of good and evil before taking the fruit. Mosaic was a transgression of the law, not a sin against the law. Mm-hmm. That gives you kind of a different perspective. Yeah, because he didn't have knowledge. Exactly. Is and that and also... Um, like you were saying, um, sorry, Satan had, he did have the choice to tempt them to do that. Otherwise, he was, wouldn't have had his agency. Like Satan still has his agency, right? Mm-hmm. Right. In the story of Adam and Eve, everybody gets agency. Mm-hmm. It's pretty divine when you think about it. Right. Didn't want to take us down this rabbit hole, but I just wanted to, to, <laughs> to you know, yeah. make that comment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Chelsea, I was just going to call you out and <laughs> say, did we lose your your original thought there? You guys went on a little tangent, so I wanted to let you continue that on. But I really wanted to go back and focus on um, the correct idea of his character. I've had a really interesting experience this week. Um, I'm sure you guys don't have a knowledge of this, but there's a very specific group of people in the homeschool world, um, specifically mainstream homeschool Christians that absolutely do not um, accept the LDS faith. And so I've had a lot of persecution over the last nine years of doing this, but most recently my kids are part of a speech and debate club and we did it last year and everything was fine. He found out mid-year, the leader found out mid-year um, the truth about who I am and about our family. And we had to kind of come out of the closet and talk to him about that. And he was completely fine with it, accepted it. Well, I got a phone call last week and he had to have the talk with me before we started the year because I was a member of the church. Um, 
to where he wanted me to know that I was in spiritual danger and I needed to be aware of that before heading into this year of speech and debate because speech and debate and my spirituality absolutely go hand. <laughs> but so this week I've kind of my focus has shifted. I'm also doing a study of the Christian church through a Christian program with my oldest because I desperately want to understand mainstream Christianity so much better so that I maybe not so that I'm armed, just so I have a greater understanding when I'm conversing with a lot of um, these people that I seem to interact with. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wanted to switch and see if we could talk about the Trinity for a few minutes, because I am realizing that I think because of my knowledge within the church that I cannot take my separation of the beings and make it make sense in my head. And so my son and I like the Trinity came up all this week. I love like I love when everything just kind of comes together in your studies and everything we read just confused me more. And so I don't know if any of you have a great grasp on the Trinity, but we've been studying a few things this week and it just baffles me that they that they've accepted this, that a couple of councils, you know, in the 300s was what decided that this is how it's going to look and nothing has come about and changed that until Joseph Smith's time. So I know I would just love some thoughts because the Trinity is a complicated topic. I know trying to figure out the Trinity and how they believe that. Yeah, how to, how to understand that three people are one and I'll give you some clarity here. Um, in one of the books that we were reading today, the main thing here. Um, all right, it says they made a distinction between the Greek words for substance and person, recognizing the equality of the father and the son in one substance and their distinction in two persons. Does that make sense to anybody? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and it's really interesting as it goes into lecture fifth, this is like the huge crux of why uh, the the argument for decanonization of the lectures on faith, because it seems very Trinitarian what Joseph Smith is, is teaching, yet unpacking it in a proper way um, is, is just amazing. Um, but yeah, like what you said there, I... Uh, I think it's so relevant for us to to know what we believe and and what other people believe so that we can have good common discourse there. I love that. I didn't really mean to totally butt in there. <laughs> if anybody else has uh, thoughts and, and things on it. Just my understanding is when Christ always says the father and I are one, that they believe that God came down as Jesus Christ in the earthly form, but it doesn't even make sense because why did he pray to his father then? It would really be praying to himself. And then why on the cross did he say, you know, uh, uh, what was it, Abba? Why hast thou forsaken me? You know, that doesn't even make sense, but I think that it's just been so ingrained that to them, in a convoluted way, it makes sense because God's God, he can do whatever he wants. And it doesn't make sense. And so the fact that we believe that they're separate beings um, frustrates them because in their mind, it's like tradition, right? It's just, 
it makes sense to them and that's there's no other way it could be so i went to catholic um boarding school for three years but before my lds days and uh, so they believe basically that God exists as three people, right? Or three persons, but one being having a single divine nature. Everything points towards God. No, it doesn't make sense. And even Stephen saw Jesus and, and Heavenly Father, right? In the New Testament. But here's the interesting thing about the Catholic doctrine, which is bizarre. The mystery. Now, remember, there's, I think there's seven mysteries in Catholicism. I remember right from my teachings, and these are mysteries that they don't, they cannot explain. The Trinity is one of those. But it says the mystery of the Holy Trinity is the most fundamental of our faith. On it, everything else depends, and from it, everything derives. Hence, the church's constant concern to safeguard the revealed truth that God is one in nature and three in persons. And I don't know if anyone here is old enough to remember, oh my goodness, who used to speak about this in general conference? Um, who wrote uh, the Mormon? Uh, Conkey, Mormon doctrine? Nope, nope. Um, this, the missionary discussions came from a book that was um, given to the saints in England. Uh, um, um, Oh, my goodness. At any rate, he used to get up in conference and quote this and say that is the biggest, you know, misunderstanding the world has ever known. But he's pretty vocal about it. Um, I forget his name now. But um, but, it, but literally to, the, to Catholicism and to the Catholic Church, this is a mystery that they cannot explain other than... They and they just it. accept it. They just yep. accept it. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yep. It's like a false tradition that they have. Right. And and this isn't the only one. There's like six other mysteries that the Catholic Church has. Um, I think one of them is original sin. I forget what they are. It's been 20 years, but uh, yeah. So, um, I, you know, there's debates all over the place, but like, um, <laughs> let me share a, a couple quotes from the old endowment before it was changed. Um, you know, this isn't dealing in signs, tokens, or anything that we're not supposed to talk about. But, um, but Lucifer's preacher, I think, has some very interesting lines that go along with this, right? Um, so, uh, Lucifer, as he's hiring him, <laughs> right? Like, do you preach the Orthodox religion? And the preacher's like, yes, that's that's what I preach. Um, and so he he hires him, but uh, as he's telling Adam, um, he he's questioning him, and he says, "Do you believe in a God who is without body parts or passions, who sits on the top of a topless throne, whose center is everywhere, and whose circumference is nowhere, who fills the universe, and yet it is so small that he can dwell in your heart, who is surrounded by myriads of beings, who have been saved by grace." not for any act of theirs, but by his good pleasure. Do you believe in such a great being? And Adam says, I do not. I cannot comprehend such a being. Like, I mean, this is, <laughs> he's been conversing with the real thing and this is not it, right? And so the preacher comes back and um, when Adam says, I, I cannot comprehend such a being, the preacher says, that's the beauty of it. 
Perhaps you do not believe in a devil or in that great hell, the bottomless pit, where there is a lake of fire and brimstone into which the wicked are cast and where they are continually burning but are never consumed. And Adam says, I do not believe in such a place. The preacher says, my dear friend, I am sorry for you. I mean, that's just one little quote of, of the whole thing. But like, I think that that orthodoxy, that um, uh, that whole interchange there, helps us kind of distinguish right in the the adam story itself <laughs> adam's conversing with the real thing and yet satan's trying to um uh to, to thwart that he does it with moses too right uh <laughs> who are you that i should should worship thee like i i've just been in the presence of god i know who he is i know his character perfections and attributes and he can't tell me otherwise and then like we uh, have discussed here how some councils back in the days uh, have changed uh, some of that and kind of like what the preacher says that's the beauty of it. <laughs> it the beauty is that you can't understand it it's just this omniscient god that we just have no way of approaching and uh, it's so interesting how lecture third just helps clear all of this up as we see through uh, future verses like 12 through 19 um, that we we delineate out at least six of those attributes that are key you you lose one you lose the whole thing because they're all so integral in knowing who god is his true character and um and kind of dispelling some of those orthodox um type teachings isn't it great to know that joseph smith changed the landscape what a great testimony and understanding as a young boy no wonder he was persecuted this was so foreign to the commonplace baptists and other religions of the time they wanted to just shut him up and say you're that's heresy Mm -hmm. and 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 yet we know that it, it is just pure doctrine it's truth and what a distinguishing factor this is with us and almost all the other churches out there yeah and we haven't stopped being persecuted since for it <laughs> Even in homeschooling groups where you think you're safe. <laughs> yep. It's ridiculous. It's frustrating. Well, the interesting thing, though, is I told him, um, it was like, I've used Christian curriculum for nine years. And for the most part, I think I've only thrown out two religious books that I'm like, no, these aren't going to work. I'm like, for the most part, everything lines up. I mean, the part that doesn't line up is that I feel that I have more knowledge. I have more understanding. I have a greater, more in-depth understanding where when i'm just reading these christian curriculums it's just scratching the surface really is what it is so mm -hmm. but that knowledge is where my spiritual danger lies so <laughs> yep. that knowledge it'll get you <laughs> i love it um so i guess kind of transitioning into um verses 12 through 19 the those uh, six uh, characters or, or attributes of God, I think are, are very 
important to, to unpack. So it goes through verse 9, 10, 11, and quoting where a lot of these things are found um, as just one simple iterance of, of those, but um, that all of these are, are so key, like I was saying, that first, that he was God before the world was created and the same God that he was after it was created. That's crucial to know. Secondly, that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in goodness, and that he was so from everlasting and will be to everlasting. Thirdly, that he changes not, neither is there variableness with him. Fourthly, that he is a God of truth and cannot lie. Fifthly, that he's no respecter of persons. And sixthly, that he is love. I mean, I'm just summarizing those. I mean, there's a lot to them, but those are all so key. And sometimes we, we read that and go, yeah, well, duh. But <laughs> I think um, reading the, the rest of the lecture really helps unpack it for us uh, in, a, in a great way. Oh, sorry. Forgot to look at the chat. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. You can unmute yourself, mother, and say what you want, but she says there's there needed to be a fall to create a need for a savior, but this needed to come about without taking away Adam and Eve's agency, thus giving them a choice which will lend to a transgression rather than a sin. Yeah. Well that. Yeah, you said it better than me. Good job. <laughs> so I, two things about those points. Uh, mm -hmm. The fifth one I thought is uh, no respect to a person. How much President Nelson has really hammered that home for us, right? Yeah. Especially in this day and age where we are, um, what do you say? Um, trying to come across that that we love everybody. And that's one of the biggest problems at BYU right now, right? Um, the other question that I really liked was up in 11. It says, he that loves not knows not God. But oh my goodness, that certainly opens up a, a big, uh, what do you, question, right? Mm -hmm. So if you find someone that isn't loving, does he really know God? Yeah. Other words, who get angry, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Is the, is the same, can you say the same people that are really loving automatically know God? Or can you be kind and generous and loving without really knowing God? That's another great question. Like, I think it, it somewhat goes hand in hand, right? Like those that are loving are are generally God-fearing people, but yet God is no respecter of persons. Like people can can love and choose not to um, believe in Him or or come to Him. So I don't know if it's necessarily. Yeah, I don't think so because there's a lot of really people that just believe in morals but don't not necessarily in God. And why you could say, oh, Hindus and Muslim, but they do believe in a higher being, even though it's. They use a different name. I think it is God, right? Yeah. But I think that there are people that are just really kind and loving and have morals that maybe don't believe in God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but maybe yeah. it's a path to um, believing in him. Mm -hmm. Where do you get morals without God? Where, where do they come from? Well, I can say that my husband's dad, his mom passed away and his dad remarried a woman that's not a member of the church. His dad's no longer active, hasn't been active since before he married her, but she's atheist, but she is very kind, very, you know, very moral, but she does not believe in God. Hmm. Does she think we should well, we, here by mistake? We, you know, as children of God, we ha all have divine attributes and whether we contribute them to God or not, you know, we, we inherently have these different attributes and um, obviously recognizing where they come from is a huge advantage in so many ways, but like we, we still have that in us, you know, unless we, <laughs> really intentionally destroy them by choosing darkness and stuff you know he he we, there is still light in some level of light in everyone right and you know just we do have an advantage in knowing where that comes from and cultivating it and and praying around it but yeah i i definitely makes sense that even if if someone doesn't necessarily know where that comes from that that is just kind of you know that is part of us who we are naturally i guess it's just sad that they don't yeah you know give credit where it's due you know when we go we're getting ready to go and when we go um they his dad always asks us to say a blessing on the food and he's actually asked his dad for a blessing and he's given it to him with his wife there and he just kind of explains what it is, but she's never asked any questions or anything. So it's kind of interesting. Huh. Yeah. Um, one of my, uh, verse 23, I think this is like my favorite verse out of all of the lectures in, in total. <laughs> I, I throw out the word favorite a lot though. So I, I, it could come up in, in future ones as well, but Anyway, this one just really unpacks a lot for me. I think it's so eloquently put and, and uh, very inspired. But um, this idea that God is no respecter of persons, because it, as it says here at the beginning, without this one, if you have all of the other ones good and perfect, and then this one is lacking, it, it's good for nothing because you have to believe this. Um, so... It says that because if he were a respecter of persons, they could not tell what their privileges were, nor how far they were authorized to exercise faith in him or whether they were authorized to do it at all. But all must be confusion. And I think that's so key to our study of our privileges as covenant-keeping children of God. And, um, you know, like President Nelson Uchtdorf um, have given talks on uh, living far beneath our privileges. I think if we would truly give an introspective look at our lives and our personal faith, I think that many of us 
at least at some time in our life, have had to wrestle with this respect for a person. Like, yeah, I get the atonement. It's great and it applies, but not necessarily to me. I think like I, I've either went too far or this or that or whatever, but um, that he is no respecter of persons. And knowing what our privileges are and what we're authorized to do with that faith. Um, you know, like we've talked about with Triumph of Zion, Isaiah decoded, etc. Like we can approach God in a much different way once we know what's available. And sometimes we just, oh, well, that's that's only prophets in the past get to do that, you know, not even prophets in the future, or but all of these blessings are available to everyone. And like it ends that verse there that every man in every nation has an equal privilege. You know, it's not just the the Jews. It, it's Jews, Gentiles, everything in between, that everyone is meant to come back. The, the plan, the pre-mortal plan of salvation that was presented to us wasn't just like, okay, we're going to send you all down, but only you guys get to come back because you're the favorites. And only... So you- is that the... Is that the veil of unbelief that we have when we think it's just for others? Yeah. And and in all aspects, not just one specific thing, but like, I think we can have this idea that God is a respecter of persons in this area, but maybe not this area or, or whatever. But I think we just got to cast all of that off of us in order to, to fully embrace our privileges. Um, the last time I went to the temple was the week before education week. Um, I, oh, let me see if I can find it. Um, when I was in the celestial room, I was, I felt like I needed to read um, DNC 84. And I think a lot of privileges, I don't know if that's all of them, but um, a lot of privileges I think were listed there. Um, I'm just pulling it up. Um, and these are the signs shall, and these signs shall follow them that believe that's verse 65 in my name, they shall do many wonderful works in my name. They shall cast out devils in my name. They shall heal the sick in my name. They shall open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf. And the tongue of the dumb shall speak. And if any man shall administer poison unto them, it shall not hurt them. And the poison of the serpent shall not have power to harm them. I don't think that's all of them, but I just was pondering that and thinking, and hey, we don't do that today. That's because of our unbelief. Like, why? Why don't we do that? We should be able to do that. Yeah. Exactly. It also, it kind of, uh, that kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, when we're, uh, oh gosh. I'm blinking just when when there were I can't remember who specifically was concerned about people prophesying and, and complaining to Moses like panic that they were prophesying he's like what to God that everyone was prophets again was, you know he's no respecter Moses? what he will yeah yeah like they were complaining to Moses like mm-hmm. oh no they're they're prophesying and and he's just, you know, Moses was saying, what to God that everybody, you know, he recognized that God's no respecter. What he's t- shown me, he will show everybody, you know, it's, 
Um, anyways, I and, and I've heard other like more modern prophets, you know, kind of a similar, you know, attitude or teaching, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, Joseph Smith has a great one, right? Like, I'm just paraphrasing. Yeah. I don't have it perfect, but like, even the least saint can have all of these things as soon as they're ready to, which comes from lecture or verse 23 right there, um, which is interesting. It says, but no sooner are the minds of men made acquainted with the truth on this point that he's no respecter of persons. Then they see their, the eyes of their understanding are open and it doesn't, there's not like a time restraint. It's not like, oh, you can do this. And then sometime in your life, but no sooner that you resolve this in your life, then you see that you have authority by faith to lay a hold on eternal life. And what is eternal life? This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And it's not just eternal life after this life, you know? This is right here, right now, we get to know God and Christ. And it all comes back to this one attribute. Resolving that in our minds helps unlock that blessing, that gift. I, I, I just love it. And, and like you said, like word to God that all his people were prophets. And, and it doesn't require any kind of timetable or a punch card of like, it's just resolving our unbelief casting it off and getting a correct idea of his character's perfections and attributes. So I have hesitated to ask this one because I know it can be controversial, but, um, but I just, as I read this, this, there's something that came to my mind that I was like, oh, I wonder how, uh, Anyways, I, I'm thinking, uh, I'm going back in history of our church to Blacks in the Priesthood and, and how that privilege, you know, initially, you know, they had the privilege of uh, baptism, endowment, oh, I guess they, anyways. No, they um, had endowment. They had, well, they, yeah, then they had endowment, but, and then that was, that stopped, and I'm just, I, my thought is, okay, well, this in lectures of faith is, you know, really emphasizing the importance of knowing God's no respecter of persons and every man, every nation has an equal privilege. Maybe and that's why it was decanonized. <laughs> yeah, I'm that, I had that thought. And, and I, I'm just saying like, if we, again, just that, you know, any deviation of really understanding these principles, how, you know, something can go awry. And anyways, I, I don't want to, anyways, I, I'm not necessarily trying to, to bag on anybody, but like, I, I think this, I think this can help us in discerning when we're on course or not, right? And and uh, anyways, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't expound, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I it think just it's very valid points. Yeah, 
even even just when choices even in the church are is does that align with truth and you know and 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 i'm okay i like i've i've come to accept like i i think we err because we're human and we you know for whatever but i just think like just i'm just seeing the value in these in just this these lectures on faith and just helping us you know uh hopefully not veer too far away from who God really is and what he desires and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> There's some speculation that that was taken away. And so we could say that God was no respect, was a respecter of persons, but that was taken away because Utah wanted to get statehood and that would be a difficult thing. And then the church didn't want to look like they were going against the laws of the land. And so perhaps that's part of the reason that conflict comes in. Does that make sense? It's sad to me. <laughs> it is. But, yeah. Yeah, but, it is. You know, but it's, but I think it's all part of like, I, I take great comfort in whatever happened and whether we want to call it right or wrong. And God, God knows like he's, he knows and this all just uh yeah there's mm -hmm. there's redemption there's anyways there's a lot of amazing things ahead yeah exactly so that's one way to look at it is towards the men and the blacks but another way is look what's happening with the priesthood and the women now so if you're no respecter of persons, then why is it that women don't have the authority and the power, which now in our day and age is starting to be really talked about. And President Nelson has really made this one of his hallmarks of his, um, of his administration, right? Which is kind of neat to see, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Um, anything else from from the lectures? I feel like I kind of dominated a couple of those points, but um, any other things that that really stood out to you? I just love the lectures, like all of them. They're they're so good. <laughs> There's some of these things that we just need to. To wrestle with in in this day and age well i mean in all days and age but like right here right now it i think a study of the lectures on faith is so crucial to our personal development uh and relationship with god um you know i <laughs> we've we've talked at length about it right agnosium but um on why do we have the lectures then and then they're decanonized and are they still relevant are they still important kind of a thing um it was very interesting to take uh that class at education week it was just a, a one-time class it wasn't a series and it was just like here's a couple nuggets that we have from lecture faith but everything else is just kind of yeah it was decanonized so not super relevant for our day and i was like oh my goodness the lectures on faith are relevant 
so much. I mean, we, if we could get back to some of these principles that, that Joseph Smith, I mean, look at what, how the lectures came about, right? Joseph is receiving these things and he's going to the people and going, you can have it too. I was just a young little boy and uh, I learned the patterns to, to approach God. And he's trying to teach those patterns and trying to, um, to go with the revelations of God, to re uh, receive the eventual endowment, et cetera, and send these missionaries out with, with power and authority to teach. And anyway, I, I just love all the lectures and how incredibly relevant they still are in, in their fullness. I, I love them. I have one more question that hopefully isn't like uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just like as I'm reading this. Like, <laughs> anyways, yeah, I and I, yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh, do I just, yeah, anyways, but I just feel like you guys have so much to, so much wisdom and everything. But another one, uh, you know, the when it talks about God's character, sorry, I'm looking, oh, yeah, um, okay this really stuck out to me just because of some things I've pondered, wrestled with and stuff, but um, the idea that he is a God of truth and cannot lie and equally as necessary to the exercise of faith in him as the idea of his unchangeableness. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So the unchangeableness, well, and the, there's other things with the cannot lie and everything, but anyways, focusing on his unchangeableness. Um. <sighs> It just, okay. So maybe this is just my own perceptions, but it just, it seems like, you know, throughout our church's history, there are little things that change, you know, um, this is okay. No, no, this is okay. Or, or like, well, I know like we learn, right. As I mean, it's, we're all learning and growing and everything, but sometimes it's like this, the the like i've heard i've heard that okay you know so we might hear something from a past prophet that seems to conflict with what a current prophet says go with the current prophet right and disregard that you know and and again to me i, I go and i'm like well some of them seem more than just um I, some of them just seem to kind of like okay kind of changing with with times and, and, and everything, but I don't know, to me, I, I just, I'm, I'm wondering, like, oh, what am I trying to ask? Um, yeah, because God does seem to, to change a lot, right, versus what it's saying here, like, he changes not, so where is the so is, line there? Right. And so I guess, I mean, I, I do think there is truth, absolute truth, right? And it doesn't, truth doesn't change just because the world around us changes and tells us the truth has, right? You know, according to the world, truth is always changing. You know, one, you, anyways, like right now, what the world believes is completely, is far different than it was even 10 years ago. But um 
I don't know. I guess it's just that uh, another opportunity to, okay, you know, turn to God for truth. But I, I think it's, yeah, I think we just even have to discern. I don't know. I, I'm just wondering if, if it is as simple as, you know, well, whatever, whatever the current narrative is or statement is, just go with that and disregard what somebody else has said. So I don't know. That just hasn't necessarily fully sat well with me, but I would love thoughts on that. I think that's why we're supposed to hear him. Right. If you were to take a particular topic such as that's very controversial that you can find comments from the prophets even recently of being able to um, progress in between the kingdoms. Um, you have some very much for it. You have Bishop Rakanki saying it's heresy. You have some, some prophets and apostles saying absolutely. And so at the end of the day, the way that I get through that is I pray for my own understanding but I also pray for the fact that I'll be close enough to the spirit. So when I get on the other side, no matter what that real answer is, that I will accept that and embrace it. Hmm. So I for me, that. it's not an issue. For right. me, it's more of an issue of being close to the spirit and understanding that when we get to the other side, I think all of us are going to understand we knew a fraction minuscule fraction of what we're going to be knowing on the other side and we are so going to be wrong in so many things we better just have the spirit hear him and be able to accept the truth when we get on the other side mm -hmm. oh amen i totally agree with that so like one way that i tend to look at it um where so if we have it from all the prophets right like all scripture and everything says that god cannot change he, there's no variableness there's there's nothing there so if we're experiencing different things and change then the change must deal on our end rather than his right so what does that look like so like take any given teaching right like let's take adam and eve and the rib right so we have this uh, this uh, hierarchy, I guess, of, of understanding to that story, right? And God's not changing, but who he's telling the narrative to is. And so depending on what spiritual age we are, uh, we, we start out with the rib and, and we just kind of take it for that, even though it's kind of uh, contrary or whatever, like, really like you just pull out a rib and you can create an, a woman out of it kind of a thing it's hokey yeah i mean it, it it's symbolic in nature right and then it advances and grows as we learn more gospel um truth and light and then uh eventually we we come to a perfect knowledge of what actually transpired and what that that means in its fullest context but yet, all along the way, there's lots of different changes from a perfect father 
teaching uh, the children at different stages in their progression. Like some things just can't be taught in their fullness in a given scenario or circumstance kind of a thing. And so, um, you know, like many people talk about how God is just angry in the Old Testament, but then he kind of softens in the new. But if God's unchanging, it must come down to the children and what they're ready for, what they're prepared to receive, and what they, they need to be taught. So as, as parents in all the different <laughs> aspects in which it could apply, we're unchanging, but yet we need to, to adapt the learning and the policies and, and all of the nuances to whatever stage that the child is is ready to to receive kind of a thing and so i you know i think we've went through so many different changes just in this dispensation alone let alone history of the world right um and and it's hard to to resolve some of those paradoxes but at the same time if we can firmly plant our feet upon the doctrine that god is unchanging then that gives us hope that that everything's going to to work out and whatever paradoxes that we encounter like why am i not getting what they're getting and and vice versa kind of thing you know there's the there's elements of of jealousy or um just misunderstandings that that arise but yet knowing that god is just that he cannot lie like all of these things that are here in lecture third is such a, a confirming and grounding um foundation on which to build so that we don't get toppled over by that because i mean if you do believe that he is a respecter of persons and then everything's willy-nilly and how can you believe in a god uh or have hope in a a salvation or resurrection um if he does choose favorites or if there is somebody out there some thor-like figure that can come down and strike him down with the thunderbolt <laughs> you know and and usurp god but knowing that uh these specific um characters perfections and attributes are um yeah just just like the solid bedrock of of understanding and now that we're on the foundation, then it's time to wrestle the paradoxes and um, go and approach the Lord and be like, okay, what's my next step? You know, like maybe I'm going back to Alethea's first comment, like maybe I'm not ready for the final answer of like the, the whole cosmic vision, but like, what's my next phase? Like, okay, so I'm here at the rib and I get it, but I know that there's more, but I don't know how to get the more. And so, like, just asking the right questions and uh, receiving progressive answers throughout our lives. Um, I don't know. That was like a whole bunch of like, <laughs> I was trying to tie in awesome. all the different comments. <laughs> yeah, it made total, it made total sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I totally agree with you. And I just think, yeah, I just as I read these, I just, I think it just feels I don't know, my heart's saddened that this hasn't been more of an emphasis in our teachings, you know, um, maybe it has in certain places, but I just, my experience, it hasn't been, and I, and I think I can, 
just seeing where the precepts of, precepts of men have creeped in and it's sad, but, but again, it makes sense to me and it's, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just saddened by it, you know, just seeing what I essentially, I guess it's like, oh man, we are just missing out on mm -hmm. so much beautiful truth and solid truth. And, um, but yeah, I, I think like, you know, that reminder of, you know, it is being emphasized now, you know, to really hear him and, and to know him and um, where maybe, you know, we kind of veered away from, it seems like we veered away a little bit from that, but yeah, these, these truths are so, you know, absolute, like, and, and um, anyways, seems so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a church news article in the archives, March 26, 1988. And uh, BYU put it on BYU's first symposium. The headline, just to give you a little bit of comfort, says Lectures on Faith Powerfully Teach LDS Doctrinal Treasures. About what? But lectures on Faith Powerfully Teach LDS doctrinal treasures oh lovely yeah. so even though it appears that maybe we're going away from them you know in the late 80s um byu came out and said yeah this and yeah might want to just google that talked about how they were taken away because of talmud and his thoughts and but the reality is they're still very powerful teachers. And, you know, if our prophet in his 90s tells us that he is a changed man, right? That we've heard because he studied the topic of guide about Jesus Christ in his 90s. I mean, look at us 10 to 20 years ago when we were reading the scriptures and how we read them now. And it's a world of difference. I think the real change is like you've all said the real change is us it's not god mm -hmm. yeah um chelsea comments in the chat oh, uh, that she's that uh, she's impressed by how many people in the church don't even seem to know what the lectures on faith are they've never heard of them yeah <laughs> it's amazing how many people I talk to. And if they <clears throat> have heard of them, they've they've heard the the opposite. Oh, they've been decanonized, they're not relevant anymore, or whatever. And so <laughs> it's just interesting. But um a, a good study of them. And you know, I, I've heard this from a lot of our, our group members that they've been led to them in years past, but they might not have been ready for them at the time. You know, they didn't really get a whole lot out of them. They knew they were important, but they didn't, you know. And, and I'm finding that, uh, especially this time through, of, wow, I, I've, I'm ready to, to take a lot more out of lectures than I have, you know, uh, five years ago. It, I want Joseph amazing. Smith to come teach me, because I know yeah. I've read this several times, not this time, I'm getting more out of it again, but usually I'm like, well, yeah, that's, we know that, you know, like, mm -hmm. tell me something I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And um, I think it was it in A or B, I can't remember, but um, 
and Tracy's left, but anyway, she was uh, asking about one eternal round because it mentions that a few times in, in the third lecture, right? And so we went and read parts of the King Follett sermon and there's so many precious treasures of the, the words of Joseph Smith. Um, King Follett sermon, lectures on faith. And then um, from Todd McLaughlin's um, uh, recommendation, the actual, uh, it's a book by Ehat, The Words of Joseph Smith. It just goes through um, lots of different uh, reporters or shorthanders um, that recorded his words there, the, the final years of Nauvoo period. And they are amazing. Like, like you said, I just want Joseph Smith to come and teach me all this stuff. And I'm like, it's surprisingly available. I, I didn't know that we had so much from him. Uh, who, was, who was that from? That the words of Joseph Smith? Uh huh. Yeah, it, I think it's Andrew F. E. Hat. If I let me Google it really quick before I Andrew words Joseph Smith. E. Hat. Yeah. Andrew F. E. Hat. I'll type it in the chat. Andrew F. E. Hat. And it's a really hard one because it, it wasn't in print very long. Um, but I do have the, the PDF if you'd like it. And uh, that's what I've just done is, is just printed it out. And, and awesome. Spiral. Oh, man. Everybody uh, needs a yeah, that'd be awesome. life. <laughs> well, I... I am going through on uh, learning design. I'm really slow right now because I just don't have a whole lot of time. But um, on learning Zion, um, if you'll scroll down to the words of Joseph Smith, um, I'm doing the audio recordings of all those lectures or the, the words of Joseph Smith. Um, it's been really fun to, like I said, I'm not very far yet, but um, that's one Do of my- Do you want to put the PDF in there too? Uh, yeah, it's on there. It's in there, okay. Yeah, but those are amazing to to go through some of those early discourses that you just don't hear about. I mean, a lot of it was pulled through um, the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. You know, it has a lot of quotes from there, but um, it's just scratching the surface of uh, a lot of what he had compiled. Yeah. Anyway, anything else or other topics or whatever? <laughs> um, I put it to Chelsea in the chat, but if you guys want to look at that, Dr. Jason Lyle, I put a link uh -huh. to the search on YouTube. He, I can't remember if he's a doctor of geology. The first one I watched was the Mendelbrot, something about Mendelbrot, it's math, but mm -hmm. how it testifies of God. And it is so cool. And then how he is a creationist and he tells you so many things about why evolution is wrong and they won't even answer the, it was just really good and really interesting. If you have kids a little bit older, you know, like middle school and up, they will love it. But it was just really fun. Like he talks about carbon dating and how it's all wrong and it's just super interesting. So if you want something kind of fun and interesting to watch, um, you know, he gets a couple things wrong, like about the fall. I can't remember, but doctrinally it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I love that. Anyway, so if you just want something fun to watch, 
<laughs> or to share with your kids. Doing. <laughs> yeah, with your kids, nieces, nephews, whatever. It, it was really good. It was really, really good. Mm. And that Mendelbrot is beautiful. Like it's just that one was amazing. But anyways, all of them about the creation were really good too. I watched a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So kind of off topic a little bit, but I remembered it because when you were answering um the question, uh, what's your name, Sister Pulley? Sorry, Amy. Amy. Amy's question, I thought, I always think of it in math, like, because math is my hardest subject, like the timeline for eternity is a timeline, right? It goes forward and backwards for infinity. And the same thing, like you learn how to multiply and you learn how to add and subtract, but you don't learn how to multiply until later and divide, you know, it's all builds on each other. And it made me think of the Mendelbrot and his talk and everything, but anyway. yeah, yeah. Everything goes back to math, <laughs> even though I don't, <laughs> I like math. Math doesn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but totally off topic, but you know, it's all. Since we're already off topic. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I put a, a YouTube video. Um, so I've been taking Joe Dispenza's uh, class on things. Um, uh, he has a book called Becoming Supernatural. And um uh, anyway, this is like the teaser trailer of like Joe Dispenza's uh, kind of ideas on how to like reset ourselves. Like if our thoughts can make us sick, how can our thoughts make us better kind of a thing? And so um, anyway, if even if you don't like take the full class, like this 30 minute little video is is excellent. It, it's fun. I, I love Joe Dispenza now. You know, like everybody, I think there's probably things that he doesn't totally get right, but um, there's a lot that he does. Oh, sorry. Uh, having you unmute there. Um, we can't hear you, Alethea, sorry. Okay, there. There you go. I didn't know I was muted. Okay. Um, I haven't watched him, but my friends recommended him. But I have to say, like, there's things like I'll be driving. I'm like, man, I'm hitting every stoplight red. But that's going to change now. And then it <laughs> does, right? And the mm -hmm. funny thing is, like, I talk about how healthy I am all the time. Like, I never get sick. Like, that's my that's my belief. And I really don't get sick. I kind of got sick this weekend, but I knew I was when I wasn't having very good sleep. But I just don't get sick. And I just went to the doctor and he did all my labs and I'm completely healthy. So it's just kind of funny. Like, um, I believe in that, you know, things that you think that mm -hmm. can change you. So anyway, yeah. now I just need to keep saying, ah, I'm so thin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That manifested right into your life. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Remember back when I weighed 50 pounds more? <laughs> <laughs> it's all a part of the past. You're skinny now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, it's been fun. Uh, we'll catch up with everyone next Wednesday on Lecture 4th.
another great one. Um, just keeps crescendoing, getting bigger and bigger as they all pile on the previous ones, etc. But anyway, it's going to be super fun. If you have any questions or comments or anything um, on the new schedule, let me know uh, via email. I get a chance to look at it. But um, oh, I was going to say on um, Education Week and stuff. If you wanted to watch any. Um, the the Wilford Woodruff project uh, ties in a lot with some of the things that we've talked about tonight. Um, I would highly recommend that lecture series. It was super good. I loved every minute of it. But um, uh, Alethea just sent me hers, so I'll be getting those ones uploaded um, hopefully tomorrow. But if it's not tomorrow, it'll probably be Saturday. But anyway, I'm going to be working on those ones. Um, and anyway, yeah, thanks everyone for putting up with me another week <laughs> <laughs> thank you thanks so much everyone have yep. a good night we'll see y'all later bye. bye good night good night